Blog Talk Radio. Great joy and good afternoon, my friend. The Nepalese Meditation Bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. The show that brings you the most fascinating people and the wisest advice from all around our terrestrial orb. I am Bart Jackson, your Hieronymus Bosch of business. And this very day, you are going to learn a great deal about something very near and dear to your gullet. Yes, I mean literally the oldest industry in the world. No, not that industry. I mean food with a capital F. As the ancient poet Homer pronounced, we all of us lie under the tyranny of the belly. But in America, as we so often do, we have, really just within this past decade, undergone a food revolution, uh, making ourselves a truly food-obsessed culture. We've got food networks, celebrity chefs, cooking stars. We've, um, we study with rabid fascination how to prepare, prepare gourmet dishes. Also, we can run out and eat, eat uh, out at restaurants. By the way, two-thirds of U.S. meals are eaten out of the home. So, at any rate, where did all this food fascination come from? What does it mean in our society? Is this some sort of cultural shift that uh, we have made, or is it the food business seducing us into it? Who's leading whom in this foodie waltz? Well, by the good graces of Demeter and Dionysus, we have with us right in the studio literally the most knowledgeable food expert in this nation, Mr. Brian Todd, president of the Food Institute, which from farm to fork provides the most exhaustive research on the food industry, farms, restaurants, agribusiness, eating habits, you name it. And best, Brian has a nearly four-decade overview and perspective to offer us. So we are going to let him concierge us down the food process menu. So whether you are a food and health nutritionists like Linda, enlightening crowds at local libraries in much the same way Rachel Ray got started, or you're a founding CEO of a major audio book company seeking better fuels just to keep his own intellect ever sharp, like Don. Pull up your chair a little closer and join us in this feast of wisdom, all carefully cuisined to make your career thrive and your adventures flourish. Brian, I'm so glad that you've been able to join us today to discuss America's national food fervor as it reflects on our culture and the food industry. Oh, and thank you very much for having me, and um, it's good timing because I'll be on vacation next week, so perfect timing here. <laughs> oh, good, good. We got you before you escape. Wonderful. <laughs> Brian, tell us if you could, first of all, just a little bit about the Food Institute. I mean, I know that you are the knowledge resource for food food workers in any part of the field, as you say, from farm to fork. How do you disseminate this uh, vast body of knowledge and the interpretive insights that you gather? Sure. Well, uh, many different channels. Um, Basically, our primary reach is a a daily email we put out called Today in Food, which um, I can boast is is the most knowledgeable, most uh, detailed update out there on the food industry each day, as well as um, we put out a weekly Food Institute report, which actually that we've been doing since 1928. Um, I was only you know, a glimmer in my grandfather's eye at that time, but uh, but it's nice <laughs> to um, have been here. And as you mentioned, I've, I've been here uh, 38 years kind of following the trends in the industry. So um, we go out there. More recently, too, we we, um, we have been a we're a nonprofit for almost 90 years, and uh, were acquired by a private equity firm last year. So, 
we'll be able to expand oh. our reach and do much more in the consulting end. So I've got to ask you quickly before we move on. You've gone from nonprofit to profit. Give us a kick. Do things work better, smoother, uh, or more roughly, or with a few more bumps now that you've gone from uh, now that you've stepped into the private realm? Um, I guess, I guess or, basically. Don't you dare uh, answer. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, still, um, still bumps, uh, just different bumps, and um, you know, it just gives us uh, you know a lot more freedom to do um, exactly what we need to do for our clients and our members. Well, I've got to say, your today in food, uh, to which I subscribe, is, is utterly fabulous. I recommend it to anyone, uh, with, even if you're not in the industry. It's just fascinating. But. Uh, moving on into the mainstream of uh, this afternoon's symposium, Brian, we, we've got celebrated chef Anthony Bourdain. He dies, and the nation goes into mourning. Food guru Rachel Ray's popularity rivals any star in Hollywood. And in this last decade of, of our we, – we really have become just food-fervored. Uh, you know, status is no longer the well-manicured lawn, but it, it's the well-set table. Is, what, why is all this? Is this some cultural shift? Did pop culture bring this about? Or has media been sort of easing us down this path? Who spawned whom? Well, I think it, it's a little bit of all of those, but basically uh, over the past decade and even before, a bit before then, uh, your food has become entertainment. Um, so whether it's mm, watching someone okay. cook on TV or going to a, a, a restaurant with, with a, a famous chef at the, at the helm, um, it has definitely expanded everyone's uh, you know, knowledge of the industry. And then um, kind of boosting that along the way is social media and the Internet as people start going out uh, to restaurants. And you know, it used to be they would just tell their friends about it. Now they're posting pictures on Facebook or Pinterest or whatever it may be oh, of their favorite meals. Yeah. So it's, um, it's kind of increased dynamically um, over the past five or six years specifically. That's interesting. So what has happened with social media, I think all of us will agree, is that our personal, the personal aspect of our lives and, uh, have become now news fodder, which they never were before. And now when you go to eat at a special restaurant, uh, it actually gets published out there in a, in a way that it, it just never did. And, of course, food is the center of so, so much of our lives. And so that's, that must have been one of the major triggers, I guess, hasn't it been? Yes, it has, and I think there's um, you know more and more people you know they're because of Facebook and the others they're they're out there looking to uh, to show their where they've gone and even the uh, the automated programs that say you know they just checked into uh, some fancy restaurant that no one else has been able to get a reservation at. Uh, we we never miss up a chance for snobbery, do we? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you know we we've got this food fascination and. But we also seem to buckle it in very well with the increased frenzy of our modern and very tightly scheduled lives. How has this quest for convenience food and cookery changed the food industry itself? How have they accommodated? Well, I think that the fast-paced environment we live in has um, you know, changed the way supermarkets operate, the way food manufacturers prepare their products and sell them. Um, for example, uh, you know, one of the supermarket chain in the Northeast, Wegmans, um, has a huge uh, 
convenience food, prepared food section that is, uh, you know, usually typically about a, a third or more of their actual full supermarket store where people can come in and buy prepared meals. Um, some of them can be heated up right there. They can bring home family size. So um, for those uh, those moms and dads out there who are uh, you know, bringing their kids to a soccer game or, um, you know, running out to a meeting late, they can stop and get you know, what is essentially kind of a basically a sort of home prepared meal that they pop in their microwave or their oven quickly and uh, and eat in between running around or, or coming home late. And um, I think that's been something that's that's really changed the dynamics of the industry. And I think a lot of food manufacturers have followed suit through too with, uh, you know, more prepared items that are out there, things that can be uh, eaten eat on the go, snack packs, uh, particularly the snacking industry where they're making it, um, you know, snacks are growing quickly. So they're taking things, uh, you know, in snack packs and even for the nutritious in 100 calorie packs. So people uh, maybe think they're getting or know they're getting something healthy. Right. I see. Ah, well, it does. It does. Uh, see that, that the industry is following the, the culture and its needs. If you've just joined us, you are listening to The Art of the CEO, which every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time streams magically through the enigmatically and often ethical realms of cyberspace, where you may listen and download this and all our shows by visiting theartoftheceo.com. We are on many uh, internet uh, streaming stations, and we are on several radio stations. But the easiest way to find all our episodes, including this one, is just theartoftheceo.com. Oh, now, I guess part of this, Brian, is the, uh, our, our need for speed, uh, and, and yet not wanting to sacrifice nutrition and, and home cooking and so forth. Uh, we're no longer... Well, we're no longer pushing our carts through our mother's supermarkets. It's all changed. And uh, one of the immense changes that I, c- I can see with this need for speed is, is takeout, ready-to-devour foods. And it just sort of seemed to me when I was reading uh, the Today in Food that there seems to be uh, restaurants and supermarkets are, are literally competing over the sector. Every restaurant has a takeout, but every, so does every supermarket. I, I mean – are, are they really competing? And also, how big is the takeout sector? I, I mean, what sort of proportion is it in the food industry? Is it growing? Uh, it's definitely growing, and um, we look at the whole uh, issue you're just talking about as kind of the share of stomach, uh, what how people are eating out there. <laughs> so whether it's uh, <laughs> at the, buying it. their foods at the supermarket or the restaurant, and um, it is interesting because, uh, as you mentioned, you know more and more people are are eating out, and um, you know the food industry is a 1.5, 1.6 trillion dollar industry, and um, mm. about 44 percent. And that was a record, uh, you know, last year. 44 uh, percent of those dollars are spent eating out, and that's been pretty steadily increasing over time. And uh, the other 56 percent is obviously through supermarkets, but. More and more of that is going out, as I mentioned, in you know prepared foods and uh, convenience foods, um, and they are fighting for that. And then there are other uh, segments of the market coming in, such as the the meal kits that are you know being delivered to people's homes, and you know that's how it started out. But now you can go to a, a store like Costco and buy your meal kit there, so it's kind of even making it easier for people. So it's a it's a very okay. <laughs> a busy place. <laughs> Is the home delivery aspect of this 
is that a picking uh, picking up or is is that sort of deemed i'm sure there must be a greater expense involved in that uh or at least in most of them so everyone's competing for the takeout but what about and and buy the uh the the prepared meals but what about the uh the home the home delivery is that catching on wildly or not sure yeah, yeah it definitely is and uh you know i i laugh um because you know, looking back, this is the way it was in the you know the 40s and the 50s. People had things delivered from their supermarket to their to their uh, their doorstep. The milkmen would deliver oh, milk yeah. in the morning, um, and so forth. And we've kind of come full circle now, so uh, we're going back to that. But um, there's definitely a drive there, although. As a percentage, it's still a relatively you know small percentage of overall sales. But um, as anyone out there, you know, almost any supermarket chain is either uh, has started their own home delivery service or is working with some sort of outside service like an Instacart, which is a third-party delivery service, uh, to kind of make it uh, yeah, to right, that right. last mile to get the food to your doorstep. Um, and I think we'll continue to see that growing. And, um, you know, we haven't even touched on Amazon, which is kind of the, the elephant in the room um, as it has <laughs> kind of entered this space. <laughs> yeah, well, they, there's, there's very little they won't sell. I, I just can see a – I have this vision of, of a drone dropping my Thanksgiving turkey uh, <laughs> or rather lifting it out of the deep fat fryer and then dropping it in, into mother's hands. Uh, hopefully she has a towel. But I guess that's all part of it. But now, every is it absolutely necessary for restaurants to have a takeout department? I, the 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 more and more and more gourmet, really top end restaurants that I go to have a t- have takeout. Is that de rigueur for the restaurant industry now? Um, very much so. With uh, with so many, there's some takeout option, whether it's. Uh, some of the fast casual restaurants, which have an actual window you can go in and get your your food to take out, or it is more of a high-end uh, restaurant where people are going in and, you know, coming to the front desk and taking it behind the counter um, because they they just don't have time to go out, or maybe they couldn't get a reservation at that that restaurant that evening, yeah. so uh, they'll <laughs> do the takeout from that side, and uh, very popular. Even 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 the fancy Big Apple and LA and the Tough City restaurants are. Uh, I can. Uh, I may not be able to get a table, but I can sure as hell take the food home and plunk it down and, and uh, watch a sitcom while while dining on on uh, pheasant under glass, right? <laughs> exactly. And, uh, <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> uh, well, you know the the as as we talk about that, you know, I would say both both regular folks and uh, dedicated foodies have warmed to this whole idea of the gourmet end of, of the food smorgasbord. You know, I mean, you see on the food channels, they, they, they make astoundingly complex meals that, that most viewers wouldn't even dream of emulating. Uh, is this um, all just part of American elitism? I mean, wh- where did all this haute cuisine spring from? And is it an evolution that's been with us a while? Well, it's been going on for quite some time. I think there's always been, um, you know, specialty food stores that would have these gourmet options, and um, you know, they've kind of kept to themselves for many years. But um, they've become much more 
mainstream, whereas every supermarket has their uh, you know specialty section where you can get you know expensive spices and and ingredients that perhaps you couldn't get before, and um, just the general availability of products that are out there as the the market has become more global. So um, things that uh, that people could not get from overseas, uh, you know, are now available readily, or or even restaurants where you know they have their Dover sole that they have flown in, you know, two days before. Uh, so it's fresh for every patron who wants to pay $70 for a seafood dinner. <laughs> Which is almost as good as a fresh cod right out of the, uh, right, caught right off of Beantown, right? Right. <laughs> true, and people are looking, they're looking for fresh, that's for sure. <laughs> this, this is the American... The, the the American version of shark fin soup, I guess, and and uh, a little a little less wasteful. <laughs> it, it only bleeds your own pocket, and that friend is your problem. Um, I I do want to get about to the to the delivery because that is an amazing network that has expanded. But just before we leave the, the our gourmandizing, uh, how has this changed the whole world of cooking? I mean, are are there more aspiring chefs applying to the Culinary Institute of America, and when they graduate, are they better paid? Is this is this sort of a, a mainstream, is sort of a burgeoning uh, place to go uh, uh, industry like investment banking was in the 80s, or what? Um, well, I think there are many more people, uh, you know, looking to go to uh, to cooking school, uh, be it the CIA or um, or some of the other schools in in the U.S. and many. Other um, universities have added programs uh, for culinary on that that reason. Even high ah. schools, many uh, have culinary programs as a uh, you know one of their paths to education. Um, and you know chefs are coming out. Um, you know they're you know I think the average salary of you know a chef coming out is somewhere between you know fifty five seventy thousand dollars a year, which is not you know a, not a, a bad bad place to start. Um, I think what happens. And this is, you know, my personal observation, too, is, you know, once people realize that being a chef is a very difficult job, you're working, you know, odd hours, uh, you know, every holiday and so forth. So um, I I don't have any hard numbers on it, but I would imagine there's a lot of people switch to other careers after doing it for a few years, (laughs) finding that it uh, it is extremely cumbersome. Well, I, I could say as someone who uh, spent much of his high school and college summers working in the food industry, uh, that food, unlike retail, the hours are long and every one of them is hard, and it's all fast, and it's it's it it ain't easy, and no matter how you what you are, I I was uh, at one my jobs were mostly things like dishwashing and busboy, which you know sort of suited my intellect, but I. I find that they uh that it is very hard work and I, I so I, I back up what you're saying like this. It is interesting though that that uh feeding the bodies, uh that those who feed the bodies well seem to be making more than the school teachers who feed the child's mind. I'm I'm just pointing that out, I'm not making any judgment. Uh, uh Brian, if I were a restaurant worker or an owner or anyone in the food industry, how might I contact and tap into the, the many resources of the Food Institute? Sure. Um, well, we, like so many other organizations, our website, www.foodinstitute.com, um, there's much on there that people uh, can go in and search. Uh, we have a database of information. 
um, libraries on there. Uh, you could sign up for a free password to get access uh, behind the curtain, as it so it may, may seem, um, to see what we have there. And uh, you know, anyone can come in and, and do it. Or you know, and hopefully, uh, once you do, you know, you'll want more, and you can subscribe to Today in Food or become a full member of the Food Institute that way. Um, we still publish Today in Food, and anyone listening, if they'd like to go to the website, they can sign up for a free sample of that as well. Excellent. Thank you very much. That's, and it, it, I can hardly recommend it just from my own personal reading. So after this delightful noshing at, at our Feast of Wisdom, I believe it's truly time for us to take a brief survey and allow me to proffer you a few uh, utensils, if you will, for today's truly metaphorical feast. And first utensil, as I always do, allow me to remind each of you hearing my voice, the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself. And since that's really the most important position you'll ever hold in your career, allow me to ask, will this be the day that you come face to face with your own hate and anger and realize how just plain unprofitable all that is? Or will you continue to waste precious time and energy in these emotional revelings that offer no real solutions? The choice, my friend, is truly yours. And as second utensil, I can sense you yearning to steep your lips into a little laughter and taste a, taste a scriptural recitation from the 101 Best Business Quips book. So I am pulling it out, and I am looking for one because I know this, is, this is, uh, works for the show. Here we go. Here we go. This is number 28. Uh, across this country, donut and ice cream chain stores absolutely abound. But where is one thriving spinach or broccoli chain, I do ask? And as an afterthought, you know, fortunes are made by selling folks what they want, not what they need. If your product demands some discipline, well, maybe you better cloak it uh, so the buyer feels he's part of an envied elite. Just a thought. So, Tell me, Brian, did we get that right? Are there any thriving broccoli chains that are missing somewhere? Uh, not exactly a broccoli chain, but there are 2,000 uh, juice and smoothie bars, many of which sell oh. <laughs> smoothies and juices <laughs> with kale and broccoli and spinach and other ingredients that uh, you know, many of us never heard of before last year. <laughs> well, if when I leave my hair shirt at home, I'll go out and certainly try some of those. Uh, and uh, I can feel morally smug, I guess. Uh, anyway, if you if you smirk a bit over this silly quip, uh, we've got them literally by the books full. Just visit bartsbooks.com and pick up your copy of 102 or 101 Best Business Quips and you will find your tongue tripping out sweet mirth and wisdom fresh from your memory as you add a little leavening to your fellow chain gangers at work. And as a third utensil, we sumptuously spoon to you the answer to to last week's business quotation. That is, the name of the individual who said, if you make the absolutely best product out there, they will buy it, they have to buy it, they cannot afford not to buy it. <laughs> Those ardent words were spoken by none other than the inventor of the best cartoons of his time and founder of Mickey Mouse and the Empire, Mr. Walt Disney. Congratulations to all you winners and stick with us because later on in the show, Blurting Away comes yet another enriching quotation. And if you are among the learned souls who knows the author of that quote, simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or to be and email it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's info at bartsbooks.com. And if you are correct, your knowledge will earn you a mind and soul-stirring gift freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. 
And before we return to Brian Todd rolling out his mysteries of what we eat and why, allow me to introduce to you the company by whose good graces we are here today. That firm is Prometheus Publishing, creator of, among many other divisions, Bart's Books Ultimate Business Guide. And you may visit bartsbooks.com and explore a wide wealth of practical wisdom from business masters. And today, the folks at Prometheus invite you to look at a book which really batters down the artificial walls separating business from the rest of your life. Uh, it is entitled, this volume, CEO of Yourself. And it's really a, a little gem of a guide that gets down to the business of your more rewarding life. Um, well, I'm going to ask, are you directing the enterprise of you, or have you fallen into default mode? Is it your governance that's bringing you the more fulfilling life that you just know is out there? The CEO of Yourself helps you discover your many marvelous assets and employ them toward goals that are going to make uh, your life a lot more fun and give you some more mastery. So my friend, fate may sit smilingly on your board chair, but you are the CEO making all those choices that best deal with whatever circumstances come your way. So why not employ the time-honored business method and put as much cogent strategizing behind your precious life as you are currently putting in and just puzzling through work? Carpet Diem, my friend, you are worth it. Pick up your copy of CEO of Yourself by visiting bartsbooks.com. And now, with utensils in hand, let us return to Brian Todd and allow his unrivaled expertise in the food industry to tell us more about the entire nature of what we eat and how it continues to fascinate us. Okay, Brian, let's get to the big white elephant in the dining room, nutrition. I have one simple question. Is that milk, meat, potatoes, and green veggie meal that Grandma bought and set on our table in 1950s as healthy and nutritious as the same exact meal that Mom's purchasing from the store on the market today and putting down in 2018? Better or worse? Yeah, I, um, I would definitely say it's better. Um, there's more, uh, probably really? more nutritious. It's probably fresher um, just because there's – you know, the, the logistics and the delivery systems have increased so much, and also um, kind of our surveillance of the food industry has certainly increased safety-wise where, um, you know, we've, you know the, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, does a, uh, a very good job of uh, keeping track of, uh, you know, bad products that are out there. And, uh, and now over the past uh, year with the Food Safety Modernization Act has the, the ability to recall product themselves which they've done a few times uh, since then. Um, so I think it's, uh, you know, it's definitely something there. Of course, that, that menu has changed, I'm sure, from, from the meat and potatoes, and now maybe it's quinoa <laughs> and salmon. So, <laughs> <but. laughs> You're Oh, my. Yes, it's absolutely true. And uh, probably a glass of wine goes with it now that never did back then. Um, when, uh, But, well, you, you've... I, I, just to continue this, I mean, doubtless you have scrutinized the, the popular documentary movie that came out a while back called Food, Inc., and that, that, that documentary sent the message that most of today's food is grown strictly for profit with nutrition not even a consideration, and that our, and it's saying, it's saying uh, that our food quality has suffered immensely. Uh, now, you, you, uh, with your sage overview, what did you think of that film and its message? Well, I think it's um, it was 
in many ways, you know, their food companies are obviously out there to make a profit for themselves and their shareholders. So, uh, you know, that part of it is <laughs> ultimately true because if they weren't making a profit, they wouldn't be able to feed a nation. And when they're doing it on such a large scale, um, there are different ways they, they have to put in place to, you know, to be cost effective and um, right. on that front. But I think they are at the same time, um, you know, they have been listening to the consumer out there and they are, uh, you know, they have changed their ways somewhat um, in, in the recent past, coming out with more health, with more healthy options and uh, looking at nutrition. But I think in many cases, as far as uh, I've always looked at the food industry as kind of being self-policing that, um, you know, they, they know what their customers want. So they'll go out there and, uh, you know, and, and get it to them. Um, and it, doesn't happen overnight that the process of uh, you know getting a product manufactured and packaged and shipped and on a store shelf takes quite a while so um you know it, we didn't get overnight to having the big big food companies um you know out there uh in such a uh, a massive way feeding the masses but as they start changing and they have been changing um you know we will see that shift so you're really thinking that that there there are real changes that it, it's not just uh, lip service. It's not just putting. It's, it's not just putting organic and natural on something because because uh, because they think well people will buy it or uh, there there are real changes coming coming forth in, in response, right? Yeah, no, I I really do think so, and I think uh, you know, I mean, even organics. That's a, you know, it's a, a government seal. They have to pass certain standards to get their certification, and the um, you know, many come many more companies are doing that, and where larger companies uh, are buying smaller organic companies to uh, to be able to uh, to distribute those products, uh, you know, more widely. Um, in, in that manner and get out there. Um, they're also looking at things more nutritionally, um, you know, and what's better for uh, for the consumer. And I think that is uh, definitely something that we'll see more of. To hear, I, I must say, it's uh, it, there is an awful. Lot, you, I'm sure you know that there's an awful lot of naysaying about this going on, Brian. Uh, the the sad fact is that we have. Uh, so many much more I wanted to ask you. I wanted to talk to you about how we're able to feed the planet. Can we genetically engineer food? The whole delivery system chain and, and something you touched on about uh, the fresh, the lack of seasonal foods, getting everything everywhere. I want to talk about so much more of this. Would you mind, and I'm, I'm going to do this right now, would you mind if we brought you on next week and we could continue this conversation? Uh, sure, that would be fine. I look forward to okay. it. Okay. Well then, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you tune in next week because Brian and I are going to find out how we feel feed the world of the hungry, how the business is doing it, and how you can get more stuff uh, that is of a quality that what you want that with the same with the same care and concern that your mother wanted for you, and you're now able to get for yourself. So, Brian, I look forward to having you back next week. This is going to be a, a fun show. We'll, we'll, you'll do a follow-up, and uh, we'll get we'll get more enlightenment on all of that that we're swallowing just because it feels good going down. So I thank you for coming on. Thank you very much, Bart. And as we round out today's feast, I am Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom, leaving you with today's business quotation, that is, who was it who said, if anything is good for pounding humility into you permanently, it is the restaurant business. 
Now, as a hint, these words were spoken by a recently late and much lamented chef who truly knew the wisdom of those words. And remember, if you know the author of this quote, simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be and send it right off to info at bartsbooks.com to win an absolutely life-igniting gift from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And again, be sure to tune into us next week because we are going to have Brian fill in all those questions that you didn't get to ask and that I didn't get to ask. So uh, tune in. We're going to learn a lot more about the food we eat next week. And as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, those women who keep winning and triumphing in business seem to be those who are swinging for the fences rather than whining about them. Why do you suppose that is? And to you gleefully sharing our feast today, I hope you've enjoyed The Art of the CEO as much as Brian and I have enjoyed bringing it to you. And remember, you may download this and all our shows uh, by visiting theartoftheceo.com. And finally, to you who have honored us with your time, may I say, as always, it has been a privilege, and I thank you. <laughs>